This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of our podcast. I'm Lucas, I got Chris and Uriah here. We have one of our contributors, first time guest, Aaron Palsgrove. Aaron, glad to finally have you on the podcast. You've been writing for us for about, what, two months now? It feels a little bit longer than that, but I'm going to say like two or three months. And uh, you've had a lot of good articles, good conversation in our Slack, so we're really excited to have you on. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been awesome being a part of the whole crew. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on, Aaron, and to talk about the Sixers. Of course, as is the case with just about everything with this team, it's been a bit of a series of really high highs and really low lows over the past few days. We're going to start with the Toronto game. That was a 132-97 to victory for Philadelphia in Game 6. Went into the game with a lot of questions, obviously, about Doc Rivers and his um, penchant for blowing leads, whether James Harden would step up, how Joel would look with the thumb injury, etc., etc. Raptors had won two straight, obviously. A lot of momentum for them going back to their home court. And Philly blew him out. It wasn't really close. It was close at halftime. And then the third quarter was one of the best quarters Philly has played all season, Aaron. 33 for Joel, 25 for Maxi, 22 and 15 assists for James Harden. I'm going to go to you first. What are a couple of players maybe that stood out for you? Okay, so what I noticed in this game, more than just the scoring and the assists, especially from Harden, was Tobias Harris doing all the little things. Earlier in the season, I called him out in an article about how his effort was missing and how he needs to, needed to step it up. And then he comes into Toronto, and he does all the little things, ripping balls out of guys' hands and come, pulling down rebounds after rebounds. He had 11 rebounds, 10 on the defensive end, which was the most on the entire team. And it was a huge factor, especially with Joel not playing as many minutes as he's used to because he got hit in the face. And yeah, I, Tobias just was the un, unsung hero of the whole series. Doc said it earlier this week, and it's just nobody talks about him enough. Yeah. Is there anyone from the bench you want to touch on? George Niang. So he only hit two threes in this game, but his presence on the floor, in his 21 minutes, he was plus 18 in ESPN's plus minus with only six points. His entire presence spreads this floor out, him and Danny especially spread the floor for Joel and Toby to get to the hoop, and that's a huge presence on the floor. And they just keep everybody open. It's amazing what to see how more open that court can be with with him on it. Aaron, you make some really good points about those two players. I love Tobias this whole entire series. Me and Chris has both been singing his praises, especially on the defensive end. In this game, I believe Pascal Siakam had, you know, 24 points on 17 shots, which I, I think is pretty solid defense, all things considered. I, I'm going to go for somebody else, and this might be the low-hanging fruit here, but I'm going to go for Joel Embiid. Yes, he, we'll talk about the injury in a, a little bit here, but prior to that, guys, he had 33 points, 10 rebounds, three block shots, two steals. He was playing this game as if his hand wasn't injured. He still had – and he shot pretty efficiently, 12 of 18 – uh, from the field, 9 of 10 from the foul line. The only thing that he struggled with, with was his three-point shot. And honestly, like that's just icing on cake, three-point shot. We don't need him to do that. He made sure his presence was felt the whole game, and he was a big part of that run in the third quarter, obviously. The, the other guy, I'm not going to go for a bench guy here, but I am going to sing the praise of Tyrese Maxey. After game three, he kind of disappeared for four and five. And then he made a strong statement in game six here with 25 points, eight assists. That's the thing. Like, he had eight assists, guys. I don't even think we even noticed that just because just how active he is. And when he gets going and that confidence gets building, and we saw in the third quarter where he got that – I think it was a steal or he almost turned the ball over and then he turned around for that three-point jumper with a, a, a Toronto defender in his face pretty much. I was just like, he has it now. He's all good. Like the size, he he's figured out how to attack their size now. The size isn't bothering him anymore. So I just, I think it was an overall great game for both guys. Yeah, I, I think both of you made great choices. I'll, I'll talk about James Harden just because 
obviously coming into the game, there were a lot of eyes on him to see if he would step up. He was particularly poor in game five. And this was his best game of the series by far. 22 points, 15 assists, 7 of 12 from the field, 2 of 5 from deep. He had 10 points in the first quarter. Harden, I mean, Raptors, the Raptors were basically daring Harden to beat them one-on-one. And he was finally doing it. And why wouldn't they after how he's played lately? To see him do that, he had a dunk, obviously, in the first quarter. That got everyone fired up. He was That got me hyped. I, I jumped up. Yeah. I mean, this is the best James has looked getting downhill practically all season. And that opened up his passing because after that 10-point first quarter, he was just picking Toronto apart because they had to bring over more help defensively. And it provided other weaknesses for him to exploit in the defense. So 15 assists, 22 points, very efficient in 42 minutes. Obviously, there are going to be even more eyes on him now with Joel out, which we'll talk about. But this was a pretty big statement game from James. He did exactly what the Sixers need out of him in this type of situation. And he's a big reason why they won that game. Um, And and just to touch on the one bench guy that I always touch on, Paul Reed had nine points, four or five shooting from the field, four rebounds. Not really much you know i've said just about all i can say about paul reed you know he's the only mvp center on the roster <laughs> and oh boy he, I no, mean, don't, he continues don't, to step don't up. get the aggregator started chris don't get them started <laughs> um look man paul reed is great he, he continues to really look good in that backup center role i hope doc sticks with him in the miami series all indications are that he will um yeah. Paul should be leading the centers in minutes played in the Miami series until Joel gets back, if he gets back. So well, we'll, we'll I, I, I will debate that, but we'll debate why debate that a little bit, Chris. I want to add something real quick here, guys. I just want to say there were two awesome points for the team. One was we shot better than most players. We shot 58, 40, and 95 on the game. Mm. Every, every player shoots 50, goes for shoots for 50, 40, 90. And we beat that by a huge margin. We only missed one free throw as a team. And uh, Chris, piggybacking off your Paul Reed comment, I think the best part of his performance was the fact that we didn't have to see DeAndre Jordan on the court. And he just didn't play at all. And that was, it made me happy. I'm clapping for that one. (laughs) We kind of nixed this before we got on, but I do want to shout out Jaden Springer, who I'm I'm still going to beat the drum for that guy. I think he was a great pick. He had four points in two minutes. Two of two from the field might be his only points this season, but great, great stuff from him. Better plus minus than Shake Milton. Yeah. Oh, no, don't, don't. Shake. <laughs> okay. It, okay, I'm going to come to Shake's defense. Doc's not letting Shake be Shake, and that's why he's not scoring a lot because Doc's using him as a spot-up guy, but he's the type of guy that needs to create his own shot to be effective and have a decent amount of attempts. He's not getting that. That that will be my defense of Shake Milton. Continue. Doc needs to let Shake play like he lets Maxi play. Well, again, James Springer had more made field goals in this game than Shake Milton, so okay. I, oh, I don't know what his role is. But that was garbage time, and you know it. Okay, <laughs> Chris, is there anything we can talk uh, about this thing with the starters? Is, hey, he's already Springer's already had a better history in Philly than Markel Fultz. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, I don't know about Markel, but I will definitely say Zaire Smith. Wait, if Chris is insinuating that Springer is better than Shake Milton, I'm going to no. give the co-site expert job no. to Aaron right now. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just saying in the future, it will happen one day. I mean, yeah, probably because he does have nice two-way potential. Still we needs to get that jump. Much this year. People aren't really talking about him. Okay, no. but Chris, he's still shooting 28% from three in the G League. I get it. So there's still a lot term, of rough edges that need to be smoothed out in his game. Say what you want, but I will be right in the end. That's all I'm going to say. Um, let's, okay, let's just, just, like you, just like how you were right about Zaire Smith? Look, man, I can't predict sesame allergies. Um <laughs> So let, let's talk a bit about Doc Rivers before we move on. Um, Aaron, I'll go to you first. What what did Doc do to put the Sixers in position to win this game? Can I say nothing? 
Um, oh, sure. yeah, yeah, sure. Explain yeah, stuff, but yeah, I, you I, you can explain why nothing. Yeah, uh, he played our best guys for the most minutes, and that's why we won the game. There was no strategy involved. He did what any coach would do, and it was not a particularly good coaching job, especially when you know you mm. leave your best players in for as long as you do. And uh, if we lose in this Miami series, I think he should be gone. Oh, wow. oh, that did nothing good in that last Wow, game? wow, okay, uh, that's fine. All right, time out. Time out. Uriah, you have said on this podcast that Doc should be gone. I don't think if okay. they lost the Toronto series, I never okay. said anything about okay. the second round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. so I'm gonna uh, respectfully disagree with you, Aaron. Respectfully, I appreciate because respect. okay, that being said, here's what I disagree with. He did make adjustments. For example, he finally helped James Harden get aggressive. Joel called Doc Rivers out on that in game five and what happened at the beginning of game six. In the first six minutes, James Harden had a lot of points. Okay, did Doc do that or did James Harden do that? Probably a little bit of both, Chris. Probably a little bit of both. But here's the other thing that we have to consider as well. Throwing out that zone as many times as he did, that is probably the biggest adjustment that he made. Also, the other adjustment that I will say that he made was making sure that if whenever they didn't have Joel Embiid on the court, they had all the rest of the starters with Paul Reed. And I think that was a smart coaching move because in the past he wasn't doing that. But well, I'll say he's he doing, was doing that for the first three games and it worked really well. And then he went away from it for two games without I don't know. Yeah, but he went back reason. to it and that that's an adjustment, is it not? So he's correcting his own poor adjustment, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, that in itself is an adjustment, so I got to give him credit there. Yeah. Not a lot, but a little bit. So, yeah, I, I would say the biggest adjustment that he made was the zone, and I, I will also say this. Doc Rivers said that he was planning on making subs right before that injury, and the other thing that I will say in Doc's all defense... Right, all right, hold on. Let's let's wait a second for that. We're, okay. We're I also um, agree in the fact that I think if the Sixers lose this series, it automatically means Doc should be gone. It should be evaluated how the series goes before making that decision. I... Uh, okay. Sure, but I... Yeah. I mean, look... Yeah, the answer to that is no. The Sixers are not the favorite. Even with Joel, even if Joel was a hundred percent healthy, most people would have Miami winning this series. Am I wrong? Most people are idiots, but we're gonna. Well, I mean, I'm I just. No, I don't know, Lucas. I think, I think a lot of people would have a healthy Sixers over Miami. I agree because I think we are this team. The Sixers team is a very bad matchup for Miami. It is a bad matchup, and I do I do like the the fact that the Sixers do have size against them. I just I don't know I I I'm not quick to say oh Doc should automatically be gone if the Sixers lose this series. I, I have to look at the series as a whole to say what did Doc do in this series? Was the losses his fault? Yes or no? And we'll get to the injury here in a moment, but that's just my thought. Yeah. Can I throw in? Can I throw in my one six ounces of of uh, I guess basketball knowledge? Did anybody uh, notice? Did anybody notice that Doc did a hard double team on Siakam in the second half? That kind of flustered him in that third quarter. You got to give Doc a little credit for that. He ended up. You know what? Don't have to at all because the game that I I forgot about it to be honest. No, because Doc isn't the one who really controls defensive adjustments. That's Dan Burke on the bench. So he, he actually has a point there, yeah. though. So here's what I'll say. I, I've been as critical of Doc as anyone else. I I think he coached a, a fine series. Uh, obviously, the two losses reflected quite poorly on him, but I really think more than anything else that was on the Stars for just not showing up. For various reasons, Sherelle was obviously hurt, but James and Tyrese – had really bad games in games four and five, and that that's on them to a certain degree. In Tyrese's defense, this is his first playoffs. I, I, I get it. There there are, like, genuine valid excuses all around. James, I, I don't believe that his hamstring's, like, at 100%. Like, like there are genuine things all around. But, I, I, like, they came into the series really prepared. They jumped up 3-0. Doc deserves some level of credit for that because they just had Toronto on the ropes for two games there. Joel gets the majority of the credit for game three. 
then he comes back in jam six, and I, I think there were some key adjustments. You mentioned his own defense and stuff, Lucas. I, I, I think that Doc does deserve some credit. Generally speaking, I'm not super high on Doc Rivers as a coach, and I think there's a reason all these like blown 3-1 leads have kind of stacked up on his resume. I, I, I don't think he's like in the top 10, you know, top 10 coach in the NBA right now if I had to list him out. But it, he coached a fine series is where I'm at. I, I think Philly is clearly the better team, which I – I wasn't super confident in that going in, but I, I learned my lesson. But like like Doctor Swift's credit, he did better. He didn't shoot himself in the foot in ways that he has in the past. He played Reed, he kept Danny in the starting five, all that stuff. Like he deserves some credit. Yeah, for sure, guys. And we've already beat it around the bush enough. It's time to talk about this injury. You know, about four minutes to go in the in the game six blowout when Sixers were clearly in the lead at this point. Uh, and Joel Embiid gets an inadvertent shoulder to uh, elbow to the face by Pascal Siakam going on a drive. Siakam gets a flagrant one. We just think Joel has a little shiner and, you know, has to get some stitches on his eyebrow. Find out after the game, though, guys, it was an orbital fracture since the initial diagnosis, which was, uh, you know, he was out indefinitely. There's been some positive news that Joel will only is only probably will only miss games one and two, probable for games three or four. Uh, hopefully, the goal is game three. Obviously, he has to pass concussion protocols, but. It, it, he can wear a mask for this orbital fat fracture. It, it's he's played with it before. We were talking prior to the podcast, guys, about when Markel Fultz's shoulder hit Joel in the face, and he had to wear you know Phantom of the Process mask, which I'm all for coming back. So let me just say this. Uh, let me ask you this, and I'll start here with you, Aaron. What do we make of Doc Rivers keeping Embiid in the end of the game, up 29 with four minutes to go? So Doc kept Embiid in, and he kept all the starters in, and we were up by 29 with four minutes left. So unless the Raptors somehow signed Tracy McGrady, there was no way of them winning that game. I, I, He wanted to put the nail in the coffin and just kick them out of the series, which I understand that feeling. It's, like, it's the feeling of scoring one more time against your little brother in 2K or in Madden. But like, it also hurt because it might have cost us the rest of this the rest of this playoffs run. So do I blame Doc? Yes, but I also understand where he was at with that call. Yeah, here's what I'll I'll come to Doc's defense on this, which again is kind of out of character for me. But it's not like he was in with 30 seconds left. You know what I mean? As Doc said, he was about to call timeout. It was like one possession away from getting everyone out of the game. It's the four minute mark that. The Sixers have been prone to blowing leads all season. That's been like the topic of conversation around this series. It happened last season with Atlanta. That's fresh in everyone's mind. Like this is a team that has blown big leads in a short span of time before. Like like keeping him in to the five four minute mark isn't that strange, especially when Toronto's still out there going full speed with their starters. I I, I don't, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Obviously, looking back, would it have been nice if he was out at the six-minute mark? Would the Sixers have been fine? Yeah, but I don't think this was a particularly strange move from Doc. It wasn't that late in the game. And, like, like it's just bad luck. That's my opinion on it. I, I kind of agree with Chris. Lone leads all season long, going back to last season as well. Toronto still out their starters in. The Sixers just... You know, 29 points sounds like a lot in the is even in the NBA. Four minutes left in the three-point shot being what it is. N- no, the the lead wasn't completely safe probably until that point. Till Joel had that finger, uh, I think it was a finger roll layup or a dunk, something along that lines, and he did the little airplane thing. So I no, I I. I I, I kind of understand where Doc was coming from. And like Chris said, and like Doc said, you know, he was getting ready to call timeout. So I, I think it's totally understandable there. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, my basic point is that I, I just don't think we have to like assign blame for this. It, it's bad luck and it sucks that it happened. It's really unfortunate for Joel, who has had really, really, really terrible injury luck over the years, especially in the postseason. 
these these are just like freak accidents. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Obviously, it would have been nice if they had Joel out by that point in the game, but with all the blown leads in, in Philly's recent past, I, it's the four-minute mark, again, not the 30-second mark. I, I, I'm I not mad at Doc Ford. I, I don't think it's really realistic to blame Doc Rivers. It's more realistic to blame Pascal, which we'll talk about, and I, I wouldn't even do that, but I, I just don't think we have to assign blame. I, I think it's bad luck, and that's what we can chalk it up to, and we have to move on, and we have to... See what happens now with Joel out for a couple games, a few games, whatever it ends up being. But yeah, I, I think it just boils down to bad luck. So, Kirk, with, Kirk, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, the issue with Philly fans is there always there always needs to be somebody to blame. So, some they're some, Philly fans is gonna crucify somebody, whether that's Pascal or Joel or Doc for this injury. It's it's gonna happen, and I just think. If we have to pick one, I think it shouldn't. I agree that it shouldn't be Doc, but it definitely was an interesting choice. All right, guys, let's go ahead and move on to the next question. We've all kind of hinted about how we feel about this next question, but I'm going to ask you guys anyway, and Aaron, I'm going to start with you. Do we think Siakam's elbow on the play that injured Joel was intentional? Your thoughts? So... Knowing who Pascal Siakam is and seeing him like in interviews and other stuff, I want to say no and give him the benefit of the doubt. But watching that replay over and over and over again, just which I shouldn't have done because it just hurts me every time I see it. Um, it looks it it looks like he went for the face. I don't mm. know. I don't know if it. That's how it looks. I don't think he did in purpose, but I don't. He definitely didn't avoid Embiid either. I'm going to put in my two cents, but you're right. I'm going to need your, I, I need your, uh, you know, street ball expertise on this. Mm-hmm. Okay. We both played pickup. We both, and I don't know if you have Aaron. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I know you're okay. So guys, how often when you go in for a layup, you know, driving against somebody that you mentally think I'm going to throw my elbow at this guy's face and are able to aim while in that motion. I know it's, I, I pretty much can't. Now, I'll throw an elbow if I'm posting up, but that's different. I'm stationary at that point. But if I'm going full speed for a layup, I'm not, I can't go out of my regular motion of and throw an elbow at somebody. So, and the other thing that I'm going to say here, and Uriah, correct, can you do that? Well, it, the key is like, what you would normally do his elbows yeah. were up kind of high in my opinion like he didn't really okay. need to do that move to clear space with him beat in my opinion it was, I'm, it was a euro step so that euro step was he was bringing the ball from left to right back with the right for the layup i, I think he was trying to if anything i think he was trying to hook tobias behind him i i would say he might be trying to do that so that that's that's my thought here and the other thing is is that him and Pascal, uh, Joel and Pascal are close friends outside of you know, ba- you know, outside of basketball. I think they're from the same country, or at least they went to the same camp that Luke Bahamute, former Process Sixer, was holding. So I, I, I just I don't see the negative energy where Pascal would purposely try to hurt a friend like that. And plus, it just doesn't seem like a, a nor. I, I don't think it was outside of the realm of pot, you know, being an out normal basketball move especially if you have somebody else on your hip and you're trying to get around them you might try to you know bring up your elbows just a little bit to try to get them on your out you know behind you a little bit but i don't think the intention was joel because joel kind of came out of nowhere on that play so i i don't think the intention was joel yeah i i agree i i I don't think pascal like went in there with the intention to hurt Joel. You could maybe argue that it was a bit careless, but you know he's running full speed down the court. Pascal's a pretty fast guy. He he uses his arms a lot. I don't think he like meant to hurt Joel. You could call it careless at the most, but again, I just don't think there's any need to assign blame here. It it just it sucks. It happened. It was unfortunate, but like you said, Joel and Pascal are really good friends. They they share a home country. They have talked about their relationship in the past. I don't think there's any bad blood there. Like Joel was whispering something to Pascal after the game. Yeah, like Pascal yeah. has talked already. Said he didn't mean to do it. Like obviously he's going to say that, but I, I believe him. I, I think it's genuine. Um, so 
I, I just don't think we need to blame Doc or Pascal. I, I think it just it sucks. It's bad luck. Mm-hmm. I think that's really what it boils down to. Okay, guys. Last aspect of this this injury I want to talk on um, before we move on is not so much the players or even the coaches involved here, but the fans. And of course, Philly fans are upset, but the main reason why we're upset is probably more than anything else is the reaction of the Toronto fans. Guys, how do, and Aaron, you can start off here. How do we feel about the Toronto Raptors fans after witnessing their behaviors throughout the series, you know, saying F Joel Embiid, you know, cheering that, uh, cheering when he got struck in the face, the broadcaster for the, for the Raptors said that's what he gets after the after the play happened. Did I missed that? Oh yeah, yeah he did. The the color commentator I forget the name of the guy, but yeah, one of their color commentators said that. So, Aaron, how how do you feel about all this? So the Raptors fans have had a history with Joel for years, mm-hmm. and they hate him. He loves them because they hate him. Mm-hmm. So, I think the F and B chants are. I think. I don't think they're a big deal at all. I think that's part of the game, and fans are supposed to hate players, and players are supposed to embrace it. Look at Kyrie against the Celtics. Mm-hmm. And but like the cheering when he got hurt, it's that is pitiful. Genuinely, they they did the same thing to KD when he ruptured his Achilles too. Just yep. should, should be noted. Toronto fans are cold. I, I, they root for their team hard and they are loyal to a fault and at the expense of other teams at points that they should not be cheering. And Philly fans have always been cited as some of the worst fans in sports for reasons I don't understand. And Toronto just showed us up by being complete a-holes to Joel and the commentator just completely capped that off. I don't. I don't understand. I'm surprised you didn't know about the commentator saying that. No, I, I don't know how I missed that either. Yeah. Um, um, Chris. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what the commentator said, you know, about karma is that you know what. And, I forgot like, about that. Was that. Just, that yeah. was stupid. Like, like that guy, he called Joel celebrating Bush League. Like, that's not, I don't think that's even what Bush League means. Like, no, Bush League is idiotic. like Marcus. Yeah, 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 Marcus Smart is Bush League. Like, that's. <laughs> Bush League is like overreactions and like, you know, dirty plays. Yeah. That's there there obviously every fan base has good and bad people, good and bad qualities. Not every Raptors fan is a jerk, but I will say there were some very prominent Raptors reporters who were reacting positively to Pascal elbowing a guy in the face and I, I just didn't sit right with me. Some of the stuff people have been tweeting about Joel didn't really sit right with me this series. I don't normally like get on here and call out fans or fan bases. Like you said, the F and B chance, I couldn't care less. That that stuff's all fair game. But mm-hmm. there's some people who were like taking like embracing physicality to the extreme in a way that made me a bit uncomfortable. And like I'll defend maybe the fans in the building. They obviously didn't know that he had just fractured Joel's face. I don't think it's quite the same as the Kevin Durant thing, which was a bad look but yeah there's some Raptors fans who said pretty irresponsible stuff it's not all Raptors fans a lot of them are great a lot of the writers for that team are great I I don't want to like it's not a you know not all the apples are in one basket but yeah there's some pretty irresponsible and disheartening stuff said about Joel this series and there were disheartening reactions to Pascal elbowing Joel in the face but end of the day uh, their team is out of the playoffs now, so we can move on, which is nice. <laughs> I think the worst part is I like that team. Like Scotty Barnes, OG Ananubi, um, Chris Boucher. They, yeah, they have likable players. It's a fun roster, and I just can't get behind them after what how this series ended. I was at game one when Scotty mm-hmm. Barnes went down. And I can tell you by looking around at every single fan in the stadium that nobody was cheering that he went down. As a matter of fact, when he was able to get up and gingerly walk off the court, he actually got an ovation for that. So for anyone that has you know bad feelings about Sixers fans or Philadelphia fans in general, it's just a national narrative. That that's that's what that's what 
people like to point to, you know, snowballs at Santa and all that stuff. Are we the perfect fan base? No. But we actually showed class in a series when one, when one of our players got hurt. And the one other thing, and I'm not saying two wrongs make a right. Uh, was it two wrongs to make a right? Um, yeah. So I remember in the beginning of the season, Allah said something a little off color. About oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, these these announcers, they, they're homers and they try to connect with their fan base or audience. And and it just was classless. The guy, I don't even know the guy's name, but he was getting blasted on Twitter. It, it was he, he probably have a job doing that next year. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with all your points that you guys made. It was definitely classless of the media. The media should know better. Toronto fans. We do have to consider it's a different country and different culture and they're hockey country. So I'm not excusing their behavior because it, it it's, you know, never okay. But in hockey, like, it's a different sport. It's a different country. Maybe there's something there that we're just not getting as Americans. But at the end of the day, y- you should not cheer for somebody that got injured. And to Uriah's point, when it happened on our home court to their player, we – we, as far as I can remember, we weren't, you know, cheering that he got injured. You know, like Uriah said, it was a standing ovation when he got up because that's what you do when somebody gets injured. Oh, uh, gosh. Uh, okay. So I'm going to out myself. I'm a Commanders fan. And oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm a Commanders fan. And this is important because I remember when RG3 got hurt in the playoffs and it was an away game against the Seahawks, I believe. Um, and people gave him a standing go, even though it was an away game. So football can do it. Basketball fans should be able to football. If football fans can do it, then so can basketball fans. It doesn't matter the country. Um, so yeah, that's this, that's and I'm not saying that it's clearly a connection between them being Canadian, them not acting you know, giving class there. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that maybe there's something there that we don't understand or maybe there isn't. I don't know. It's just a fan base, but at the end of the day, it was classless. All right. Let's talk about Sixers Heat. Joel, as both of you mentioned earlier, is definitely at least going to miss games one and two. There is reportedly optimism around him returning for game three or four. Let's say, Aaron, hypothetically, Joel returns in Game 3. Do you think the Sixers have a shot of winning this series? Absolutely. Yeah. I. We talked earlier about how Kyle Lowry is I – think I think before we started recording, about mm-hmm. how Kyle Lowry is out for Game 1. And I think that opens a huge window to steal one because whoever he's – whoever his backup, the guy who's replacing him is guarding – Harden or Maxi could get a step on them and turn that into a big game. And we all know what happens when Maxi has 30 in a playoff game. We can steal game one. So I think if we steal game one and then Joel comes back in game three, because, I mean, Joel's a dog. If he has a concussion, he's going to figure out a way to work through it and come back in time for his home fans. So if we can steal game one, I think we have a genuine shot of taking this series. So... Let's let's look at this. Game one, you don't have Kyle Lowry. You have to deal with a backcourt of Max Strauss and Gabe Vincent. That's a lot of shooting there. Of course, then again, it's a playoff, so maybe maybe they're not quite as, as effective as they were in the regular season. Okay. You can probably win that, even if James Harden is being guarded by Jimmy Butler. I like Tyrese Maxey in that matchup. Honestly, you kind of hinted towards it, Aaron. I'm going to say this. If the Sixers steal a game, it's not going to be because of James Harden. It's going to be because Tyrese Maxey. Because I don't expect Tobias to have like an outstanding scoring series in this one. Because PJ Tucker is a is a defensive lockdown. Like I expect this to be the bad shooting series for Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris is just going to have to impact the game in other areas, like he was in this series. And I'll say this. If the Sixers want a shot, I think Tobias Harris is going to have to do a pretty darn good job against Jimmy Butler one on one defensively. That be and I I don't think it's completely unheard of because Jimmy Butler is not as good as he once was. I I don't think he is anyway. But isn't Jimmy going to be on Harden? On defense, yes, but on offense, when Jimmy's on offense, you got to put Tobias on there. You you got to. Yeah. All right. 
you can hide you can hide Danny Green or whoever you want to hide. You probably hide James Harden on PJ Tucker, which is fine because if Tucker tries to post him up, believe it or not, James Harden's actually a pretty good post defender. Um, so yeah, I you know what I I'm willing to see how that's that matchup goes. Um, the thing that's going to kill us though, and here's the here's the matchup I'm really looking forward to, and I I hope that they start. I'll read Chris, and I know he's your guy. But my question is, can he stay out of foul trouble long enough to make a big enough impact? Because without Joel, I would prefer to play Paul Reed at least 24 minutes, if not more. If not, like, 28 to 30. But can he stay out of foul trouble long enough to get those minutes? I don't have the answer to that question. But if he can, then I give the Sixers a shot to steal one. Do the Sixers have a shot before the orbital fracture when it was just Joel with a thumb injury? I, I would have picked Miami to win the series still. I, I think the Heat are favorites here. It obviously gets a lot tougher if Joel is missing two to three games or more. Um, a lot of eyes are going to be on James. Tyrese is going to really have to step up as a 21-year-old. Tobias is going to have to take on a bigger role, which doesn't always favor him, frankly. Um, you know, I, I think this is going to have to be like a shake Milton series. Like there are all sorts of different factors here. I, I don't think the Sixers are going to win this series is my basic point. I, I think the odds are pretty slim. They have a chance mm. if they can take a game in Miami. Sure. But I, I think the heat are pretty big favorites here. If Joel does come back, he's going to be playing through a torn thumb and he's going to be playing with a mask that. As we know from past experience, he doesn't particularly like, and that does impact shooting and passing in different ways. It's not going to be Joel at full 100% force. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. Miami is a really deep team, too. They're missing Kyle Lowry, but they got guys like Gabe Vincent, Victor Oladipo who can step in. That oh, yeah, I forgot offense, about Oladipo. That offense isn't really going to falter much, I don't think. Oladipo just led them to a win in Game 5 against Atlanta. Like They have guys who can step up and fill in holes in a way that Philly just doesn't have for Joel. Joel is obviously a way different player than Kyle Lowry, but I don't think Miami is as hampered coming into this series. Assuming Jimmy's out there and he's playing like Jimmy and PJ he, he's and Tyler Guerrero. right now, Chris. He yeah. is if all three of those guys are missing time, then it's a different story, and Philly is probably going to be favorites tomorrow night. But assuming Jimmy and Tyler Hero and PJ and all those guys are out there, I, I think Miami probably has this has the upper hand in this series would be my read on it. But let's talk about again, Lucas, you mentioned you wanted Paul Reed to play twenty four to thirty minutes. If you can, I agree with you. But Aaron to you first. How do you think Doc is gonna split up these minutes at center and, and how do you think he should do it? How do I think he should? Uh start Reed and then Go small. See how it works. Mm, okay. I wanted I wanted them to at least try to go small with speed. So put Toby okay. at the five because he we know he can rebound and we know he can sort of defend in the post. He did okay against Siakam in Toronto. Okay. So why wouldn't why shouldn't we run two guards, maybe even three, if we want to put Shake out there? We put in Danny and Matisse and Tobias. And see what happens if we if we start to get fall behind because we can't match up size. Then you put Reed back in, or you give DeAndre Jordan a few minutes because we know he can jump high and get rebounds and swat swat the ball out of the air. But that's about it. So why not give small ball a chance? Because it might be the key to saving our series if it works. Interesting. So yeah, I, I think you should start Paul Reed. Uh, Doc Rivers in a press conference that he could play all four backup centers. That includes Paul Millsap and Charles Bassey. I I don't think you should play all four. And honestly, I would just play the two young guys because here's the deal. Well, actually, you could get away with playing Paul Millsap, but I would play the two small guys because the young guys because here's the deal. Paul Reed matches up pretty solid against Bam Adebayo. I think defensively, like they're similar enough players athletically that I think Paul Reed could handle it. And then the backup center position, you have Dwayne Dedman. 
who is a seven footer. However, me and Chris kind of, te- I think me and Chris talked about this briefly in another podcast, or we talked about it off air. I ever get Chris, but um, he's a seven footer, but he's a stretch big. He can shoot the three point shot and is willing to do so. Um, you can't do that for Jordan. You you can't. That's not a good matchup for him. I'd rather play either Paul Millsap or Charles Bassey at that point. Charles Bassey is healthy again, by the way. So you, the shoulder is completely healed. So I, I'd i give Bassey the shot here because I think – I mean, he, he was playing as good as Paul Reed was in the G League, and there were points in the season where I think me and Chris both agreed that Bassey looked better than Reed. So I, I think you could definitely do a you know, two-man rotation at center – with those two, and if they both get in foul trouble, you can throw in Jordan or Millsap. I think Millsap's probably a little bit better lateral, you know, quickness-wise to guard Miami's bigs, so I would go Millsap. But that's that's just my thoughts. Chris, what do you have in mind? Yeah, um, as far as what they should do, I think we're all on the same page. It should be Paul Reed. I would play him as many minutes as you can before he fouls out. Like, can he get the 30 minutes? I don't know. Probably not but you should try to get there. Um, beyond that, I agree with you, Lucas. Like, Charles Bassey, it, it's not always, you know, the playoffs aren't the best time necessarily to try new things, but given that we both, we all know both Paul Millsap and DeAndre Jordan are just not going to cut it in the playoffs. It's like a foregone conclusion at this point, especially DJ. I think it's worth giving Bassey a shot. It's kind of nice to hear Doc say that he could use all four because that means Bassey might actually be in the cards, but we've heard that Bassey might be in the cards at different points in the season, and it has never happened. So I'm not super optimistic that we'll actually see Charles Bassey. If I had to guess, I don't even think Paul Reed is going to start. I think it's probably going to be one of Millsap or Jordan, and then Paul oh, Reed is still coming off the bench. I hope not. Well, I'll say this. If it's going to be a veteran, it better be Millsap because at least I think he could hang a little bit better with – Bam than than DJ could DJ yeah. because Bam's Bam's a small big, that's that's your only saving grace is that Bam's like what six nine six eight six nine yeah so that yeah. And, you know Doc's on record on saying that if it's a small big man then it's going to be Paul Reed so yeah I, I I think if I had to guess it would probably be Paul Millsap but who knows um I I mm-hmm. agree like I wouldn't be mad if he goes to Millsap because again we just it's kind of Doc's fault but we just haven't seen Charles Bassey play real minutes frankly at this point and like Millsap played a good game against Miami not long ago when Joel was out so it yeah you could convince me that Millsap is the best option there next to Paul Reed I I agree with you Aaron I think they should try to bias at the five I, I not a bad idea about potential lineups and it was like Tobias Matisse Danny Shake and James makes makes a lot of sense. Something like that. I, you could throw George Niang out there for a gun, whoever. That sounds similar to the Warriors' new the new their new death lineup or whatever you want to call it with Draymond at the five and those three guards. So here's my thing. I actually kind of like the idea of Tobias being a role man again as the center, and that because he can actually like he's un- sneakily athletic as a dunker. So I you know he he would be a fun lob threat for. James Harden. I, I think that would actually be a fun option if Doc would actually go to it. We'll see. Yeah, and, and look, like, obviously the difference between Philly and Golden State is that Draymond is one of the best defenders we've ever seen, and right. Tobias is not. The, the defense is going to suffer considerably no matter who is out there in Joel's place. Even if it's Paul Reed, who I think is a really impactful defender in many ways. Like, the defense is going to suffer inevitably. The way to win this series is good offense. And I think those smaller lineups, the only way to make Matisse kind of work offensively because you can put him in the dunker spot and use him as a screener for James and get him in different actions going towards the rim with a bunch of shooters around him. It's a lot easier to make Matisse work in that setting, and he's your best defender now when there's not Joel posting up every possession. So It's also going to be nice to have him back in this whole series. Yeah. So side note, side note, guys. I know it's not in the agenda, but would you start Matisse again, or would you keep Danny in the starting five? No, uh, yeah. I think why not start both? If he goes back to oh. Matisse, I'm I'm just like chalking up a Miami victory. I, I think that would be a bad decision. 
Wow, wow. How do, you, how do you feel about if you're, should your homeboy start again? You talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Look, man. <laughs> Danny Green had a great series against Toronto. Okay. Those rims are like home to him because he played there. Okay. Played good defense. Matisse, let's not let's give this man some credit. Put some spec on his name. Okay. He just came okay. off an all defensive second team uh season last year. This year he I don't know what his numbers were off the top of my head, but he had a very good steals and blocks uh production off, you know, whether he's right. off the bench or start. And also after Harden was traded to the Sixers, his numbers actually went up. Three point percentage, three point shots, scoring. He made a boneheaded mistake when he decided to do what he did with the shot, not getting the second one, and it cost him dearly. He, I was there when he got booed. Everyone was booing, like the, and he deserved the boo. Don't, don't get it twisted. I'm not giving him an excuse. But to, to answer your question, no, he should not start. I think Danny Green should. But Matisse should get minutes. Matisse deserves okay. minutes. Yeah, look, Matisse should absolutely get minutes. But, like, no one is disrespecting Matisse's defense. No one's like Matisse shouldn't play because he's not a good enough defender. That, that's just one side of the ball. And, frankly, it's the less important side of the ball. Like, Matisse being the worst offensive player in the playoffs right now is, is the issue. Like, that's pretty much what he is. And it cost him in the home games against Toronto. Miami is different. Toronto is a really, really bad matchup for Matisse. I don't think Miami is going to be as bad. I agree he should get minutes. They go small. You can kind of hide him offensively and play to his strengths. Matisse should play. But, like, the fact that he just hasn't improved as a shooter at all is an issue. It, it He has improved. Since Harden got here, he has improved, Chris. He has improved. Well, is that, is that more the of a – playoff, And the playoffs are a small sample. sample size. What? Like, like, it's like 20-some 20, 20 games. Yeah. Guys. Against Toronto, he, he he they lost one game when he was there. The other two games they won, and he contributed. He was he didn't light the world on fire offensively, but he was a, he helped with those two victories. But Uriah, uh, you're saying he got so much better when James arrived. Is that more of a compliment to James or Matisse? Doesn't matter. Ooh, ooh. It does. It doesn't matter. It look does. at look at no look look at look at Chris Paul. When Chris Paul got to to Phoenix, did other players get better? Are, are we going to give the, those players all the credit, or does Chris yeah. Paul deserve credit for making them better? Come on now. Uriah. Let's call it what it is. You're absolutely right. James elevated – James got more out of Matisse than the Sixers could without him. That's absolutely true. And even with James, there have been multiple games now where Matisse has just been unplayable offensively. It's a pattern. It happens quite frequently. There are going to be games where he's pretty great and his defense overcomes all that. But there are also going to be games where you just can't play him, where he doesn't have it, he's not hitting shots, and the defense ignores him. It, it you know, Miami is just a really, really good defensive team with a lot uh, of and a lot of mobility. Really, really good switch. team, though. They're a great help defense. Like they're a team that can take advantage of Matisse not being a good offensive player. More than like Charlotte, the Charlotte game was Matisse's last really great game. Charlotte is one of the worst defenses in the NBA. Miami is not that. Like, they're going to be able to exploit Matisse's lack of shooting. That's just what it is. So I, I think well, we will find out. We will find out. Let's get back let's on track. On. Let's, yeah, let's get back on track. We still got a few more questions in this segment. Okay. So, Aaron, you first. Who do we predict is going to step up in this series? Who's going to be the quote-unquote leader of this team while Joel is out? I think both of you kind of hinted at your answers. Do you think this is going to be a big James Harden series, or do you think it's going to come down to to Tyrese? I think it's all going to come down to Tyrese. He he's got to show up at least in one of these two Miami games. He has to put the team on his back and say, "All right, James, you, me, Toby, we're taking this team and we're going to steal this game and we're going to give us a shot when Joel comes back." And he has to create for himself, but he has to hit his threes, and he has to he has to slash hard because Bam is an amazing paint defender and PJ PJ and Jimmy are amazing perimeter defenders. And the only way to get our guys open is if Tyrese creates a paint presence for himself that Joel would usually be taking up. So James and Tyrese both have to cut to the rim and Toby does as well to give guys like George and Danny open shots because that's the only way we're going to have a paint presence that we normally would be Joel. 
you make a very good point, and I agree with you there. I think it is going to be the Tyrese Maxey game. As much as I love to see old vintage Harden uh, pre-hamstring in that game six against Toronto, I just don't think he can do that consistently right now, or at least he hasn't proven it. So I am going to go with the pro- more proven commodity scoring-wise in most biased recent, recent history, not overall history, because obviously Harden's one of the best to ever score the ball. But recently, yeah. it's Tyrese Maxey been, has been the better sc- scoring player between the two. So I, I think you can, and I think with Kyle Lowry out, especially game one, you, you, have, to, you have to take advantage of that. And I think Tyrese has skill too. I, I think you need a 40-point game from Tyrese to make this possible. I don't think that's impossible to ask. Is it a lot to ask? Yeah, but is it too much? No, I think Maxie can do it. Uh, he clearly has the attack mindset. I don't think Miami's going to be ready for it. So I, I'm all for the Tyrese Maxi show. Let's keep on rolling for the, let the good times roll. All right, and I'll, and let's I'll go. There's no way Miami isn't like binge watching Tyrese Maxi tape before the series. They're absolutely going to be ready for Tyrese. I I, I think you're being like naive if you think they're going to focus. I'm not saying no, that's a good point, Chris. Very good point. And I, I, I wouldn't. Agree. And here's the thing. Tell me if I'm crazy here. But if I'm Miami with my switchable defense, I would start Jimmy Butler on Tyrese and PJ Tucker on James Harden and make Danny Green and Tobias Harris punish me by putting my guards on them. And then you get and then you get and then you get Butler in foul trouble, Lucas. I don't I doubt they'll do that. We'll we'll see. We'll definitely um, see. Yeah, look, I I think James Harden has to be the Sixers best player for them to win these games does he have to be their leading scorer no but he has to be enough of a scoring threat to open up his passing like game six you know what i mean he has to mm-hmm. get downhill he has to be getting baskets around the rim he has to be forcing miami to guard him in such a way that he can pick them apart as a passer tyrese probably is the guy who like benefits and scores the most points from that but if James is just thinking it up out there and he's not like at the center of what Philly's doing and they're just trying to outgun him with Tyrese, I, I don't know if that's going to work. I think James has to be the best player. Miami, again, is not a great matchup for James. They have a lot of switch defenders. Bam Adebayo just put Trey Young on ice for five games. Not to mention he's James, in Miami. James is going to have a really tough mountain to climb here if he's going to lead Philly to a win without Joel. Like, I, I don't know if I can expect that kind of production from James Harden. He's not Houston James, and this is a tough matchup. But they are going to have to find a creative way to get him going downhill, to get him matched up with guys like Tyler Hero, Hunt Switches, stuff like that. They're going to have to get James going somehow. And if he can do what he did in Game 6 and get to the rim and have a big first quarter and really force Miami to change their coverage and focus in on him, then he's going to pick him apart, and that's the way that Philly can win these games. It's with James balancing scoring and playmaking in a way that isn't like what he did in Houston where he's just dribbling and pounding the ball into the earth and taking 40 shots, but he's going to have to be the guy who leads the charge here. I, I don't think it can be Maxi by himself. You know, It's going to be a group effort. Inevitably, Tobias has to step up. Everyone else does too. But I, I think James has to be the best player on the floor if they're going to win these games. That doesn't mean he has to be the number one scorer, but he has to be the best player. Fair enough. Um, so let's let's talk about individual matchups here, guys. Are there any that stand out to you first, Aaron? Like two guys who will probably be defending each other or going at each other in different ways. Are there any matchups that, that stand out to you? Well, you all mentioned Jimmy and James a good bit. And if he's going to be guarding him, that's an interesting one. But... We doubt they will because foul trouble. So in the first two games, I want to say Paul Reed and Bam Adebayo. Or uh, you stole mine. Uh, I I apologize, but it's or okay. insert Sixer center here and Bam Adebayo because whatever Bam is one of the best centers in the league, and we need to make him work. Which I don't know how we're going to be able to do that without our big man, but we need to give him something to think about so that he can't constantly help. And because if he constantly helps, there's nothing at the rim for us. So, hey, hey, Lucas, get him, get Aaron my tweet earlier that she liked. Remember what I tweeted about B-Ball Paul? 
I I remember the tweet, but I don't remember the tweet. So um, Aaron, to not I'm not trying to steal your thunder or retort. I'm just saying, look, who has a G League MVP? It ain't Bam out of bio. It's Paul Reed, baby. Advantage, <laughs> Paul Reed. Advantage. He's gonna average fourteen and ten. You know, that would I certainly lovely. hope so. Um, that'd be nice. But it's it's definitely a question going into the series. How can we make Bam work? Because he is their best. Def- he is one of their best defenders, and there's so many on that team. It's terrifying. Yeah, no, I it, you stole my thunder there, but I, I have a backup one here for you guys, and I kind of mentioned this earlier. I I think it's going to be the PJ Tucker and Tobias Harris, and it's going to be more of, you know, we know who P.J. Tucker is on offense. He's a spot-up three-point shooter. Not worried about that. But what I am worried about is how well P.J. is going to lock down Tobias. Like, we talk about James Harden, Tyrese Maxey. Tobias Harris is probably the X factor in this series, all things serious, in terms of being able to produce, because he's going to have the majority of time of having, you know, P.J. Tucker on him, who – Locked down, well, not locked down, but slowed down, you know, Kevin Durant significantly in the playoffs last year and is still a really, really good defender. Like, if the Sixers want to have the shot, that Tobias is going to have to average 20 in like eight, and that's going to be on efficient shooting, and that's going to be really hard having PJ Tucker as, as the guy defending you doing that. So, I, I'm going to say it's going to be come down to Tobias and PJ Tucker. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see how Tobias does in this series compared to the last series. Um I'll I'll say this. I think my matchup is gonna be whoever is going against Tyler Hero because Oh that, yes. That's how you steal this game is you put Tyler Hero in every action defensively and you play him off the floor because that's gonna take a bite out of Miami's offense and he's easily the worst defender out Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Like I agree. James that's a Tyler, good, that's Tobias, a good one. whoever, you have to hunt switches. You have to get whoever is whoever they're let's trying shake, to hide let, Tyler let, Hero on. You can't let him hide him. If you let Tyler Hero hide out on defense and play 35 minutes, he's going to be probably their best offensive player because he can take advantage of Philly's specific style of defense. And you're probably going to lose the game. You have to play Tyler Hero off the court. You have to make him work so that he can't do what he normally does on offense. Here's my count. Here's my devil's advocate to that, Chris. If they if we do that, then we'll just have to deal with Victor Oladipo instead. That man terrifies me. You never know what he's gonna do. Yeah, and if he if he continues playing like that, that there's no point of playing Tyler here off the court because then you just have to deal with Victor Oladipo. But that's my devil's advocate. Well, I think until game I, five against. The Hawks. Oladipo wasn't even in the rotation, so I, I, agree. I don't know if he's I agree. a guy who you can count on to go off for twenty every night. Like, fair enough. I don't even know if he's the next guy up behind Tyler Hero. Like, you gotta wait and see. And you're right, Miami <laughs> is the deeper team. They have a lot of guys who can hurt you, and that's why Philly's probably not the favorite in this series, especially with Joel out. But if they're gonna put Tyler Hero out there, and they'll want to because Hero is a great. He's the he's half court player on offense. Yeah, you have to punish him for it. So that should be their goal. Mm-hmm. When Kyle Lowry gets back, if he's not at one hundred percent, he's a good defender. But you should be trying mm-hmm. to get James switched onto him every time because James is just mm-hmm. bigger and he can overpower him. And the same is with Tobias. So you got to uh, take advantage of those smaller guards. Mm-hmm. Also, also, Shake Milton needs to take advantage of Tyler Hero because we saw that happen last time. This could be a Shake Milton series, guys. In all seriousness, this, this like <laughs> no, no. he had he had what like 25, 30 points against Miami in the last regular season matchup, and it was sure. primarily you know hunting Tyler Hero. Without so, Joel, you're gonna need guys to step up and create offense for you. Tyrese, like like with James's limitations currently as a half court scorer, Tobias is really at his best when he's not doing a ton of self creating. Like you're gonna need guys like Shake to step up. I, 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 this could be I, a shake series. Could be a shake series. I think it should be a shake series. Doc needs shake to go out there and be really aggressive. Mm-hmm. I, I, no, I I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of shake. Yeah. yeah, I'm, all, I'm all for it. Let three guard lineup. Let's go for it. Why not? All right. I, I think on that note, Chris, I think it's time for you to play us out though, because we, 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 we didn't even get time to get to our other subjects about the other series, but that's okay. We'll have another podcast for that another time. Yeah. Um, Aaron, 
thanks, man, for coming on. We really appreciate it. If you want to tell the listeners where they can follow you on Twitter, yeah, please do uh, that. Go follow me at Aaron at Aaron Palsgrove. It's just my name. It's a very intricate Twitter handle. I know. I spend hours thinking it up. Um, I'm going to be having an article coming out later this week for the Sixer Sense. A why Brandon Clark is the perfect role player for the Sixers bench. So, speak yeah. it into existence for sure, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, everyone go read Aaron's work on the site. He does he does great work there, and follow him on Twitter at Aaron Palsgrove. And hey, we're, hey real quick, Chris, hold on. Uh, everyone, just listen now. Aaron Palsgrove. He is gonna he's gonna be the next Bill Simmons. He's going to have his own sports media company. The guy is just, he's on his way. His star is just launching. Remember that. Remember that name, Aaron Palsgrove. There you go. I appreciate man. you, Uriah. That's right. All right. Um, and to all our, bleh, all our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning into the Six or Sense podcast. Please like, subscribe, follow along wherever you can. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible. Or you can listen at our website, drop a five-star review, leave us a comment at thesixersense.com, whatever suits your fancy. And until next time, peace out. We'll have games to talk about pretty soon here, which is um, exciting slash terrifying. So until then, peace out, everyone. <laughs>